What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, in for Kelly for a bit. And here's what is ahead. Apple's big event is set to kick off right now in Cupertino, California. Tim Cook expected to unveil the iPhone 14 and more. Maybe a surprise. We're going to bring you all the headlines they cross and look at whether it can spur enough sales to boost that stock. The markets are a bit higher today. NASDAQ on pace to snap its longest losing streak in six years. But our guest says... Do not jump into tech just yet. Stick with boring but sexy BBS stocks. And shares of Academy Sports, they're jumping today despite lower profits and lower sales. The company's CEO will join us to talk the retail environment, the consumer, and everything else. That's ahead. Before we get to all that, let us begin with Dominic Chu and the market numbers. And a little bit of green on your screen over there, my friend. Just a little bit. And like you said, we're going to try to snap that multi-day losing streak, the worst we've seen in quite some time. But it's pretty even gains throughout the course of the session here for stocks overall. And by the way, we're tilting towards the highest levels of the day right now. Right now, the Dow Industrial is up nearly 1%, 276 points. The S&P 500, 39.49 the last trade. They're up 41 points, 1% higher and 1.2% higher for the NASDAQ Composite. That's 134 points, 11,679. And by the way, to give you an idea of the trading range so far, at the highs of the session, we were up 44 points. We're up 41 right now. At the lows, we were down just two. So generally speaking, a positive market right now. Not so when it comes to oil and gas. Check out the energy sector. Oil prices, WTI crude, October futures, $82.50 right now, down 5%. Similar kind of moves here in some of the big names that we associate with the oil and gas trade, Baker Hughes on the services side, down 3.5%. Halliburton, services side, down 3%. Marathon Oil, exploration and production, down 3%. So watch oil concerns about the economy, whether the Fed raises rates more aggressively, all that weighing on crude prices. And then one stock to watch, one that we don't talk about often, tied to the EV, electric vehicle space, that's ChargePoint Holdings. They run a network of charging stations up 7% right now, due in large part to analysts or Credit Suisse, initiating coverage with an outperform that's a buy rating a $22 price target they like the vertical integration capital light growth model brian and of course valuation part of that story as well by the way at that $22 target price we're talking nearly a 40 percent implied move if those analysts are correct brian back over to you yeah and in oil by the way a lot of pressure on the sell side on the downside as well and by the way good news for the federal government dom because they need to buy the, the spr back yes they gotta replenish they gotta replenish the supply they exactly. have a big interest in lower prices. Right. Dom, thank you very much. All right, let's get right now to the big story of the day. It's not energy. It is Apple's product launch event that is kicking off right now. With a range of product announcements expected, shares of Apple hitting their stride earlier this summer with six straight weeks of gains. But lately, like the rest of the market, it's been a different story. With the stock on pace for its fourth straight week now of losses. Six up, four down. There you go. Can today's event get things back on track? Of course, we have every angle covered for you. Steve Kovac is at Apple headquarters in Cupertino with what we can expect. And here for the analysis are Tom Forte from DA Davidson and CNBC contributor Tim Higgins from the Wall Street Journal. But Steve, you kick it off. What can we expect? Are there going to be any surprises? 
<laughs> yeah, Brian. So this is Apple's first iPhone event in person since the pandemic began. In fact, Tim Cook just came out a few minutes before the event began to welcome everyone back to the Steve Jobs Theater behind me. They built this theater just for events like today. Finally get to use it again. So what are we expecting? Four new iPhone models, two regular models, and then two of the Pro models that have some more advanced features. And we're also expecting a price increase. So investors should watch for that. We already know from Tim Cook himself that demand for iPhones are strong. Can it remain that strong if they increase the price of those iPhones? On top of that, new Apple Watches, including one that's said to be called the Apple iWatch Pro, with more uh, durable design and uh, catered more to athletes and more people serious about their physical fitness. Plus new AirPods Pro, those are the ones that noise can have noise canceling. But more interesting, this rumored iPhone subscription program, meaning you pay one fee, get a new iPhone every year bundled in with a bunch of Apple's digital services. How that's priced and how that will work will be really of interest to investors, Brian. Any possibility we get like a car or something, a flying car? When are we going to hear more <laughs> about the TV? Yeah, I, w I wish I had something really shocking and surprising, but we're not expecting anything other than just some new iPhones and accessories. As far as virtual reality headsets and cars, that's going to be next year at the earliest for the virtual reality headset and any kind of car thing. That's way out in the, on the horizon, Brian. All right, Steve, we're going to see you all day long. Thank you very much. Now joining us to talk about all things Apple and the stock is Tom Forte, Managing Director and Senior Research Analyst at DA Davidson, and Tim Higgins, Technology Reporter at The Wall Street Journal and a CBC contributor. Tom, start with you. You've got a 185 target on the stock. What do you need to hear to remain bullish on Apple, or is just sort of the status quo going to be good enough for you? So the good news for Apple is that the challenges it had at the supply chain level uh, and China's you know, zero COVID policy meant it wasn't able to satisfy demand for the Apple 13. So I think the setup is very strong for the 14. What I'll be looking forward to seeing is pricing. The big challenge for Apple is the strong US dollar. So to what extent might it price the product materially different in the UK uh, where the dollar is strong against the pound, or in Japan, where the dollar is strong against the yen. And then lastly, I'll be looking to see if they have a new value product. Looks like they're giving up on the mini. Historically, the lower price Apple iPhones haven't done amazingly well. But overall, I think the setup is very good for the stock on the easy compares on not being able to meet demand last year. Tim, anything you want to add to Steve's report? What are you, what are you either expecting or maybe what are you hoping for? Well, I, th I think this uh, cycle is really going to be about that more expensive pro model, trying to get more money out of those customers, squeezing the Apple for some more juice um, from people who are willing to spend more, the higher end customer. That has been so important in this cycle, going back to the 12, the 13 model, and investors and analysts are really betting that that can continue another year, even if unit sales slow or don't grow. The expectation is revenue can grow, and that would be in large part because of those high end models. Yeah, I mean, Tom, is there a limit? to what somebody will pay for, I mean, I guess we call it, we still call it a phone, don't we? I mean, it's more of a computer that happens to make phone calls, so I'm not really sure what to call it. I mean, at some point in the next couple of years, are we gonna have a $2,000 phone because nobody's gonna care, they're just gonna pay the monthly bill and they're not gonna look at the total price? Uh, there is a limit, and I like the comments from uh, Steve earlier, which uh, are consistent with our white paper on, uh, you know, I think Apple is going to at some point mirror cable meaning they'll give you a regular monthly bill. It includes hardware, it includes software, and it includes services. So to the extent that Apple becomes more of a monthly bill 
I think consumers are willing to pay two grand uh, for the latest and greatest iPhone Pro. You know, uh, Tom, one more follow-up to you. We talk so much about Apple as a phone company, and I know that it is. But the services side of the business, the revenue for services is actually more than the sales of many Fortune 500 companies. I mean, it's it's a hell of a business just on its own, but the email product is not great. I mean, iCloud, eh. Do they need to work on the software side again? The software, the beauty of the software is the uh, ability to give consumers who have older devices the feeling of getting a next generation phone. So I do think that's the good news. And then on the mobile operating side, they essentially operate a duopoly with Google and Android. On the services front, if you think about fitness, TV, music, uh, all the different services, that's what's enabled Apple to generate a premium multiple. And that, I think, helps it sustain the premium multiple. So I think the services side of the business is you know, well at Apple, despite your concerns about uh, some of their you know, products. Yeah, do we need to see something else, Tim? I mean, I read your article this morning. It was all about the phone. Again, Apple just appears to be a phone company. They would hate me to say that. But we've been waiting for this better TV product. We've been waiting for better services. We've been waiting for better email. Been waiting for maybe a car. When do we see something exciting? I'm not just, I'm not excited about a new iPhone. Sorry, who cares? Well, well, the, head, the headset probably next year and the car, that, the promise of the car is just out there in the future. The big thing this year really could be the subscription for that phone, really boosting the service, recurring service revenue, helping TV, music, fitness, all that stuff tied together in an easy payment really makes it easier for Apple to continue to sell new phones year after year after year. It becomes almost like iPhone as a service. All right, Tom and Tim, thank you very much, Tim. We're going to see you again. Maybe, Tom, get you back on. We'll see how things go all throughout the day today. All right. We're going to show a video, by the way, the Apple Watch. That's a product, obviously, they're talking about a lot along with the phone. There's some new video that they show on the big screen in that theater. By the way, I was there for the first ever in-person event. This is obviously before COVID when they opened that theater. It's got an elevator that spins in a slow circle. Another invention of the now-departed Mr. Johnny Ive. Anyway, there's the new watch. What do you folks think of the watch? Do you like it? A lot of my friends who bought one, they don't wear it anymore. They just don't want to deal with charging. Anyway, let us know what you think. All right, coming up, with so much volatility in the market these days, your next guest says that boring is beautiful. What does he mean by that? And what stocks fall into that category? He will explain. Plus, check out shares of Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are rising after the retailer raised its profit forecast. How are they doing with the consumer and inflation and supply chains? We're going to ask the CEO a bit later on in the show. And as we head to break, here's a quick check on the markets. The Nasdaq looks to break its longest losing streak since 2016, down seven days in a row. Coming into today, we're up 1.3%, 152 points. The exchange is back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. 
generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. All right, welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Here's where the market stands right now, and we stand firmly in the green. The S&P and the NASDAQ and the Dow are all higher. Look at that, up more than a percent for two of the three. The Dow's up 0.9%, which is 282 points. All right, our next guest says that even though the markets are basically anything but boring right now, boring when it comes to stocks can be beautiful. Let's welcome in Mark Avalon. He is president at Potomac Wealth Advisors. Mark, it's good to chat with you when the sun is up. Thanks for coming on yes. The Exchange. Uh, first off, before we get to some of the picks that you like, the macro market. Do you expect more volatility and maybe more losses before the year's end? Yes, Brian. And we are looking at a very choppy market. It's very hard to get excited right now with new money to rush out there and put money to work when you have so much global uncertainty the Ukraine war has residual effects with, with food prices and the energy war that you talk about a lot over in Europe. You have inflation, an aggressive Fed, earnings estimates that are likely to come down. Against that backdrop, it's really hard to get gung-ho and back up the truck for stocks. Is there something that would change that? Well, clarity from the Fed. And when the signal happens that inflation, next month's job report, that would be an indication that maybe we've turned the tide going from nine one to eight six or whatever we did last month. That's that's one month and that's de minimis. If we start seeing a trend in inflation coming down, and we see that with energy of all things, oil prices, oil futures are dropping. If we continue to see lumber dropping and and the and the root causes of inflation relaxing, and then the Fed language following, I think you're going to have another melt-up like we saw in June. But that could be the time for investors to think it's more than a head fake. All right, let's talk about this idea of boring but beautiful when it comes to equities. You, you like a name like a Raytheon and some of the small and mid-cap regional banks. I mean, when I think of boring, I think about regional banks. Well, regional banks can be boring, especially if if they're well managed. And that's the point about knowing where your money is going. And locally here in Washington, we have a relatively strong economy. That's part of the driver for why I like regional banks and regional banks that have a presence here. And and names like Sandy Spring Bank uh, have been well managed for generations and Truist, which is still benefiting from cost cutting with their merger with BB&T last year. So those are two institutions that are well run here in this region. But in the financial space, insurers are, are very attractive. They have nice dividend yields, strong cash flows. They own real estate, which can uh, fight inflation, but they also have a lot of cash on their balance sheet, a big bond portfolio. That's going to earn more income and all the damage or hopefully most of the damage from the rights in rates that have hurt bonds is in the rearview mirror. So looking forward, we think insurers are an attractive place. Wow. Pretty interesting there. What about anything in technology that you would consider boring, but 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 beautiful or boring, but sexy because making money is beautiful. Well, it, and, and that's where big is better in this case. We, we want the 
diversify among the biggest, best names. There's been too many surprises in tech this year, where in a week you're down 30%. It was Netflix, it was Facebook, NVIDIA this past week. There's too much risk for investors, in our opinion, during a bear market to go throwing darts. And we would like broader exposure. And the biggest names, I know they're, they're, they're well-known and a bit boring, but app, the Apples and Microsofts of the world, Google, and to some extent, Amazon, they're where we think stability lies. The only reason I hesitate on Amazon is this union stuff starting to percolate. That concerns me a little. But the bigger, the stronger the balance sheet, the better the cash flow. That's where I think investors should be. Okay, watching a Raytheon, watching a Sandy Spring Bank and some of the others. Mark, it's good to have you back on. Mark Avalon, Potomac Wealth Advisors. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, still ahead, we have got the trade on the good, the bad, and the ugly. The CEOs of three companies going in different directions this year. Box down 1% since January. Not bad. Starbucks has talked about it, down 25%, but Snap, it's been snapped, down 77% this year. Ouch. Plus, with the summer travel season fully in the rearview mirror, are the airlines headed for a soft landing heading into next fall? Phil Beau will be here and on set. Talk about just that. We're back right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Well, coming into today, the NASDAQ was down seven sessions in a row. Unlucky seven, if you will. That's the longest losing streak in six years, but we are going to break it unless something reverses. It's got a couple hours left, but still, to lose a, more over 1% would be a lot. So we're probably going to end that losing streak. NASDAQ up 143 or 1.24%. S&P and the Dow Industrial Average also in the green. So a little bit of a better day than we've seen the last week and a half. All right, so what is moving inside of this market? Well, Netflix is. It is sitting near session highs, reportedly looking to cut costs in areas like real estate, cloud computing, and corporate merchandise. Been a rough go for Netflix investors this year. They've done about 60% just since January. The solar stocks, they're doing well today. The Invesco Solar ETF, the TAN is the ticker, get it, having its best week since July. And inside of that, end phase, trader favorite, big battery maker, hitting a new all-time high today. Some of the look at the Solar Edge, Sonova. These are what they call, some of these are what they call Reza Solar, where basically it's not utility scaled. You put the solar on your roof or maybe on a small business. And that some of these are the installers. Enphase, a big battery company. So the TAN, a TAN ETF doing very well today. What's not doing well is what we've talked a lot about the last couple of weeks. And that is oil and gas. Crude oil falling 4.5% right now, more than 4 bucks a barrel to 82, 83. Traders I talked to say there's a lot of volumes on the short side of oil, a lot of big money sort of pressing those futures contracts down. By the way, very good news for the U.S. government because the U.S. government wants prices to come down, not just for gasoline prices to come down, but because they're going to have to buy back oil at the SPR. So the federal government is liking the fact in many ways that the price of oil is going down. By the way, oil prices are back to the levels we saw before the beginning of Putin's war in Ukraine. Think about that. You've also got economic concerns around the world. China's locking down more than 60 million people right now. 
just crushing energy demand. So all the gains from the invasion. We talked a lot about Putin's inflation, if you will. We heard that a lot in Washington. Well, with this move down, it's gone. Now let's get to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler, what's going on? Brian, thank you very much. And here's what's happening at this hour. A federal judge in Texas has ruled that the government government cannot mandate free coverage of some drugs that prevent HIV infections. A Christian-owned company challenged a provision of the Affordable Care Act, saying it violates the owner's religious beliefs. The judge has previously called the Affordable Care Act unconstitutional. Ukraine now considering shutting down the largest nuclear plant in Europe over safety concerns. Shelling has resumed nearby despite pleas from U.N. officials to establish a demilitarized safe zone around that power plant. Kim Kardashian is expanding her brand once again. She is starting a private equity firm with Jay Sammons, a 16-year veteran of the Carlyle Group. The new company will include consumer products, e-commerce, entertainment and luxury. And on a special two-hour edition tonight of the news, how airlines are preparing for the fall after a very busy and snarly summer. That's tonight, starting at 6 Eastern. 6, not 7. Back to you, Brian. Okay, 6 o'clock tonight, one hour earlier. Tyler, thank you very much. All right, still ahead here on The Exchange, home values. They are coming down and coming down quick in some areas. And with it, the amount of equity that you may have in your home with it, Diana Olick is here and on set with what it means for the overall state of housing. All this, the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage remains firmly above 6%. I guess 6% for a mortgage maybe is, at least for now, the new normal. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Shares of Academy Sports and Outdoors are climbing higher after reporting better-than-expected earnings and raising its full-year guidance. Now, same-store sales comps. They fell 6% from last year, but that sales decline was partially offset by an increase in the average ticket. In other words, how much you spend every time you go in the store. Academy Sports is up 9% for the year, which is tug on good considering the S&P 500 is down 17%. Joining us now with more on the results, the consumer and how the holiday season, yes, we're talking Christmas is shaping up as Ken Hicks. He is the chairman and CEO of Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, Ken, welcome to the program do you see signs of a consumer recession right now? It doesn't sound like it. We have not seen the consumer pull back. What we have seen is the consumer looking for value. And, and one of the things that we're known for is value. Uh, they are still buying what they want to buy, though. And what are they buying primarily? Can they, is it kids' sports? Is it hunting? Where's the, where's the big surprise been? Well, it's it's across the whole store. What what we're seeing is uh, people are looking for an experience. Uh, team sports, kids sports is still very strong. Camping is has been uh, really good. Uh, outdoor grilling, uh, people are looking at that. Water sports, we sold a lot of pools this summer, uh, so people are looking to have fun. They are. And there's been so much question about, you, you know, sort of the, I hate the term back to normal because I know you're in the Midwest. I spent the summer in the Midwest and been there for a couple of years. And a lot of people just they never locked down. I mean, the reality of America is that a lot of the country never stopped living as they did before, for the most part. But when we talk about this idea of back to normal in a way, do you see consumer habits changing or have they remained fairly consistent and will so? Well, I think one of the things that we are seeing is a trend towards uh, health and uh, being outdoors. And so 
that is something that, that we obviously sell. And so people are into fitness, into experience, and, and that fits with us. But what we're, we've seen actually this year is the timing get to normal. The baseball season started when the baseball season was supposed to start. School started when school was supposed to start. And the football season when football season was supposed to start. So the normal uh, normalization, if you will, is the timing getting back to what it used to be. And the activities, as you said, in our markets was, was there. It was just the timing was messed up. And now everybody's back to, uh, quite frankly, normal. That's good to hear. How sensitive is your consumer to the price of gasoline? I think everybody's sensitive to it, but people are still going to do what they want to do. And so the the kid's still going to play soccer or baseball. The family's still going to barbecue. People who are uh, like to fish are going to go fishing. They may not spend as much on it. And again, uh, we offer a broad selection of, of assortments. So they may not buy the highest price bat, but they'll buy a lower price bat for the child. Or they may not buy the most expensive cleats. They'll buy some less expensive cleats. And, and our assortment allows the customer to do that. Yeah. And do you, do you feel that there was some big pop from COVID stimulus, whether or not that's just direct stimulus, whether it's uh, $700 billion in forgiven PPP loans? Uh, it, was there some sort of artificial boost to your business that you are concerned about having to comp with, Ken? Well, there's no question that there was, and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the PPP loans. It was the direct cash that people got, and that's one of the reasons why we're down this year to last year because of this, we were up against the stimulus the last couple of quarters. That said, we're still up over 35% over where we were in 2019. So the trend of people uh, looking for experience, uh, living healthy, exercising, those type of things, that's moved up and that's still there. Uh, but it's, it's uh, down a little bit from the stimulus money. All right. Ken Hicks, the CEO of Academy Sports and Outdoors. Stock's done well. Congratulations to you and your investors today. It's been a good day. And by the way, you're up on the year, which not a lot of companies can say that, Ken. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Brian. All right. Before we go Appreciate to break here and do a tease, why don't we show the price of oil and gas? Because the price of oil is continuing to sell off. We are seeing a lot of selling pressure. A lot of people on one side maybe shorting the price of oil. Crude oil is down almost 5% right now to $82.64. And as we noted at the top of the show, that is back to the level before Putin's invasion and his foolish war with Ukraine. So that that Putin pop, if you will, has now been wiped out. Price of gasoline should also come down. That's wholesale gas. It's down 4%. We've seen signs in America where there have been gas stations with $2 and change. Gas, a little consumer break there. All right, still ahead in your exchange. In the latest sign that the once red-hot housing market is cooling off, interest rates are really beginning to weigh on home values. We're going to talk real estate with Diana Olick next. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. With the 30-year fixed mortgage rate firmly above 6%, it is not a surprise that mortgage demand continues to drop. And that is not the only thing dropping. Home values are as well. Diana Olick joining us live today right here 
at CNBC. It's great to see everybody in person. Great to be. Although I did see you in D.C. a few months ago. But what's happening with housing? Well, it's like you said, you know, mortgage demand is down because homeowner buyer demand is way down because mortgage rates are all way up. And all of that is finally hitting home prices. Prices dropped 0.77% from June to July, according to Black Knight. It was the largest monthly drop since January of 2011, even though it didn't sound like a lot, and the first monthly drop of any size in over two years. So roughly 85% of major markets have seen prices come off their peaks through July with one-third coming down more than 1% and about 1 in 10 falling by 4% or more. So after gaining trillions of dollars in home equity collectively during the first two years of the pandemic, some homeowners are now losing some of that mm. housing wealth. So-called tappable equity, which is the amount a homeowner can borrow while keeping 20% equity in the property, it hit its 10th straight quarterly record high in Q2 of this year, $11.5 trillion dollars. But May was likely the peak. Total tappable equity is now down 5% so far since May, and Q3 will show a more sizable decline. The biggest losses, of course, are where prices were highest in the West, mm. like San Jose, Seattle, San Diego, San Francisco, and L.A. But I want to make one thing clear. It is nothing like during the Great Recession, where prices crashed, millions of homeowners went underwater on their mortgages, and a massive foreclosure crisis followed. Not even close, and Brian, I cannot emphasize that enough. So, Because back then... People were taking out home equity lines to either buy 42 other apartments or a solid gold boat. <laughs> or they had bought their house with no money at all. To Zero begin money with. or the ninja right. loans, no there income, no job. No equity. There was nothing. There was no cushion. Right now, homeowners are so little leveraged. Actually, the smallest amount of leverage on record. A, a, a realtor friend of mine in my town in New Jersey blew my mind. And I'm lucky to live in a nice town. 31% of sales last year were all cash. No, 31, no. one third. So they don't care. They, have the equity. they don't care about interest rates. Right. So there is a pool of buyers out there that is interest rate agnostic. Yeah, but they're looking at home prices coming down, and who wants to catch a falling knife, right? Do I want to buy this house? Is it a falling all knife all or a falling spoon? I mean, is it, <laughs> is it dangerous? God, I miss coming up here. <laughs> you just miss me. Of course. No, nobody wants to buy something that's going to, you know, it's like a car. You walk off the lot and it's already lost value. It's not usually that way with a house, but right now it could be. You think mortgage rates are going higher? Well, I didn't think they were going to stay over 6%, to be honest. It, they hit 6%, 6 and a little bit in June. That was when we saw the big turnaround in the housing market. And then they came down. They were close to 5% again through July and August. DR Horton said they saw a little bump up in demand because of it. Now we're back 6.25%, and it looks like that's where we're I'm going to butcher at. this stat, but you'll, you can correct me, please. Okay. I think it was Ivy Zellman. You know, obviously know her. Yes, and, I do. And so I think the stat was something like 80% of mortgages are under 4%. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking... So, like around 3%. So why would anyone move? I mean... You wouldn't. It, that's, that, the, to me, the biggest problem with housing may simply be, uh, I got a 3.3% mortgage. Yeah, I need another room. I'll wait a couple years and add on. I'm not going to give up this mortgage to take a 6.5%. Exactly. Mortgage. Because you have so much home equity, so why not just add on to the house, redo the kitchen and the bathroom, whatever, because you are going to get twice, literally twice the rate you have now. And that's why we have no inventory. That's right. Well, I'm glad to see you on set as well. Me too. I'm just filling in myself. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> Look at us. I love it. All right, the Apple event is still going on with headlines about new products. Let's get back now to Steve Kobach, who's live in Cupertino. We got, ooh, we even rolling the animation for you, Steve. <laughs> That's great. Hey, Brian. Yeah, so, so far, it's been the Apple Watch show. Apple just unveiled the Apple Watch Ultra. This is an $800, you didn't hear me wrong, $800 
new watch that's meant for like rugged environments. They're showing people using it mountain climbing and diving and, and things like that. They're claiming it has the most accurate GPS of any of these sports watches that runners like to use. And it's really catered to those high end extreme athletes. And on top of that, they have a new version of let's call it the regular Apple Watch, the Series 8. Uh, pretty iterative improvements there. The biggest thing uh, happening on the new uh, Series 8 is a temperature sensor that they use for um, ovulation and tracking menstrual cycles and also crash detection. So if you get into a car crash, it can actually uh, detect that and automatically call emergency services and send them to your location. Still waiting on the new iPhone. It looks like I'm watching in the corner of my eye here, Brian. It looks like they're about to announce the new iPhone here any second now. Well then, Steve, because that's the feature event. Get in there. Steve Kovac, we'll come back to you in a bit. <laughs> That's right. That's it. Get in that circular Thanks, elevator. All right. Still ahead here on The Exchange, we've got a lot more to do. It's a special edition of Show & Tell. we got three charts, three stories, and three trades. You're going to see them here, but only if you stick around. And check out the Dow at session highs of 320 points. Look at that. Good day for the markets. We're back right after this. Welcome back. It is time for a special edition of Show and Tell. Now, we usually show you the chart and then tell you the story, but this one, we're also going to give you the trades. We're highlighting three companies whose CEOs joined us right here on CNBC today. Chris Crisanti is our trader. He is chief equity strategist at MAI Capital Management and joins us now. All right, Chris, welcome to the Dome. First up is Snap. It is on pace for its worst year ever. I mean, it's down 77%, so if it had a worse year, it'd probably be at zero. Social media company recently announced that it is laying off about 20% of its staff as it struggles to compete in the ad revenue race. CEO Evan Spiegel this morning on CNBC said the changes were painful but necessary. We wanted to make sure, you know, because we're so focused on, our, on you know, building our business over the long term and really serving our community, we wanted to make sure we could generate cash even in an environment where you know, our revenue didn't grow or uh, you know, even uh, grew at a negative rate. So I think for us, obviously, these changes are very difficult. They're painful, but they're all about ensuring our long-term success. I mean, Chris, you wonder, he says long-term success. I mean, with the stock down 77%, is this, is this a question of long-term survival? Brian, it's good to be with you again. I, I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, this is a, a, a tough one. You, you want to root for them. They're, I think they're doing the right things. But now it's a total show me story. There's really three headwinds there. There's the general ad slowdown, which is it's just even tougher for smaller platforms like Snap than for Google or Facebook. There's the iOS privacy changes, which is, has really hit a bunch of folks and Snap not least. And, and finally, there's the competition from, from folks like TikTok. So they're taking the bold steps. They're laying off 20% of the workforce. But the risk reward here is still skewed towards risk, I think, even with the stock down so much. So I don't care about valuation. I don't care about how much it's down. Down. I need to see a visible sign of progress. It's too early to go here. I'd pass. Is there anything they can do to change it, to change your mind? Yeah, no, you, you, you want to see a quarter or two of, of improvement, of stability. And, and look, they're doing the right things, but they also can't control the macro environment. So if we do fall into a recession, that's going to be a, a tough one, too. So they are doing the right things with the things that they can control. But it's not all in their own hands right now. All right, let's move on. Snap, thumbs down. Next up, though, is Starbucks. On pace for its best week since July, it reveals the CEO's succession plan. Founder and interim CEO Howard Schultz will be succeeded by outgoing record chief Lakshman Narasim starting next month. They both joined Squawk Box this morning, and Schultz said he is leaving Starbucks at a good place, particularly in China. 
we've been in China now 21 years. We occupy a position like no other Western brand. About 6,000 stores. We're opening one store every 10 hours in China. The situation in China is opening up. So our position there, China will be much larger than the U.S. when we're all said and done. All right, so there you go. You just heard from Schultz and the incoming CEO. What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down in the stock, Chris. You know, I I do thumbs up here, Brian. I think Starbucks deserves the benefit of the doubt, and I like it here. Next Tuesday, they have a big investor day, so it's a big deal. They're going to lay out their plan going forward. But the most important thing is the plan is that that the guy who was just talking, Howard Schultz, is leaving. And uh, he was obviously the interim CEO. Uh, The new CEO, Narasimum, is is really well-respected. This guy has turned around uh, Reckitt Brankheiser in the the, uh, U.K., and which doesn't have nearly the brand heft of Starbucks, uh, the demand for Starbucks products remains strong. So this is not a problem of, of reinvigorating the brands. The issues are more on the pricing and the cost side. But that's an easier fix if customers are still coming into the stores, which they are. So the question here is, do they have the right plan? We'll take a look on Tuesday. And will they have the right people, including Mr. Uh, uh, Narasium? Uh, and I think that they do. So I'm an optimist. The jury's still out, but I think it's a good speculation. Yeah, I, I do wonder, though, and Reckitt's a great global company for what they do, consumer products. It's probably not a household name here. It's a, it's a German company. They make Lysol and Clearasil. And I just wonder, you know, Starbucks is a retail consumer experience business. Right? It seems like a different skill set. For sure. But, but uh, you know, Howard Schultz is a smart guy. He's got a lot invested, not just uh, money-wise, yeah. but also in, in terms of his, 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 his being and creating this company. Uh, and the board, I think, did a good job. I mean, yeah, it's a different kind of company, but it is a brand company. But most importantly, it was a turnaround, and he did a great job. He reinvigorated yeah. the revenue there. As, as you know, the stock dropped 5% on the announcement that he was leaving. So that, that was a big deal. Northern Michigan University's own Howard Schultz. Go Huskies. All right, the final name is Box, bucking the downward trend in tech this year. It is flat in 2022 despite falling in three of the past four months. CEO Aaron Levy said the company had to take a hard look at its business to stay competitive. We had to look exhaustively across the business. This is going back two years ago to ensure that we were doubling down in the areas that were most profitable, that were were growing fastest, that we could drive most efficiently. And we put our resources really uh, behind those initiatives. All right, Chris, let's talk about Box. It's stock number three. Your take. Thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, you know, Brian, I'm a conservative guy, so usually I wouldn't like a company like this, but I'm giving it a thumbs up because uh, it's continued to grow revenues in a tough environment. And the funny thing is it's it's small. Uh, it's only about a three billion dollar market. It's small size is actually an advantage right now because, one, it has a long runway. It can continue to grow revenue at, we think, low double digit rates for a number of years to come. But also it's nice to be small in tech now because the large cap tech sector is just out of favor and getting slammed every other day. So that's a tough place to be, but they've been able to avoid that. The management team has not shot for the moon, but instead they've managed to grow slowly and well. A couple of years ago, I would have said, well, anybody can do that in a bull market. But over the past few quarters, they've proved they can do that in a more difficult period, including they're facing right now a really tough currency headwind. So if you zero out the currency here, they continue to exceed estimates. And there's not a lot of tech companies that can say that. So, so yeah. I would take a chance. I like it. Two thumbs up and one thumbs down. It's like a good episode of Siskel, Ebert, and Grisanti. 
Thank you very much, Chris. Do appreciate that. Good to be with you, Brian. All right, let's take a quick look at the price of oil. It is falling now 5%, $82 a barrel. It is below the pre-invasion price now. Of course, good for the wallet and good for, by the way, the Biden administration. But the question is, what exactly is going on with oil? Let's bring back in Halima Croft. We heard from her last night in our special. Halima, you know, it's really interesting here because you've got India said their demand was up 16%. Jet fuel demand is out of control. Gasoline Driving miles seem to be pretty high, maybe down a touch, but not very much. We're talking about price caps and new sanctions. And the only thing the price of oil is doing is falling. What's going on? No, I think that market participants are really focused on the recession story. They're focused on the China zero COVID policy that continues despite all expectations that it would have to off ramp. And I think people are just waiting to see. I mean, we had that sort of OPEC cut, the 100,000 micro cut. I mean, I think now the question is going to be, is OPEC going to come in and do something more meaningful? I mean, Prince Abdelaziz has raised all these concerns about low liquidity, about this issue, about, you know, positioning in the market. And so I do think it's going to raise questions if we were to potentially, you know, breach 80 on brands. I mean, I think that would raise a lot of concerns in heads of state of OPEC countries is basically saying maybe we need to come back into the market and do more. Wow. You think they want to defend $90? I mean, I think that people were very comfortable at $90. I think that breaking 90, you know, being in the 80s for Brent, you know, a number of countries can obviously balance their books at that. But it'd be a question about, you know, do you need to basically put in a solid floor? Because these macro sell-offs, can really go anywhere, even if the fundamentals of the market look strong. Now, I do think there's some other factors that have to be taken into consideration. We still have this U.S. SPR release that should wind down, you yeah. know, in the coming, you know, at the end of October. So that will be a, an interesting, you know, point in the market. You brought up the, you know, looming sanctions on Russia and price caps. But for now, I think the focus is on the recession story in China. And again, the low liquidity is exacerbating these moves. And when I had a conversation on the phone about a week and a half ago, Halima, with Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, he, you know, and he's talked to you as well. And I know that they talk about illiquidity in the futures markets, the difference between the paper markets. It, it made it, he made it sound like he thought that there were some big players or a big player, perhaps not manipulating the market because I asked him directly, do you think the market is being manipulated? He said kind of it seems like it, but he wouldn't go that far. People are pushing this market around. There's got to be sizable players that are betting short, no? Well, I mean, we have a very, very low. I mean, we do not have net length in this market. Again, people have really gotten out of their long positions, and we have low liquidity. And so if you're Prince of Delaziz, you probably have to be concerned about, you know, the next move lower. And so I do think now that we've had OPEC signaling that they are willing to cut, they're willing to come into the market, they don't have to wait for monthly meetings, I do think if we, you know, continue this downdraft, Mm. the expectation would be at least some type of statement coming from OPEC about potential future policy action. Well, the next meeting is October 5th, so they just had one. We'll see if they step in in between now and then. Halima, thanks for getting on the phone. Big day for oil. Thank you. All right. Well, speaking of demand, it was a record summer for air travel. People were ready to put the pandemic firmly behind them to see family and friends and faraway places once again. But meeting that demand, as you know, if you flew, was a challenge for the airline. And we're using the word challenge nicely. And we're starting to get a better picture of how the carriers managed through that time and how they're positioning for the rest of the year. Phil LeBeau, also here 
at CNBC HQ with the latest. And, Phil, I'm assuming you did not walk or drive. You probably yeah. flew. I've I never flew. seen O'Hare more crowded. How are, the, how are the airlines doing and how are they positioning? Well, they came through Labor Day better than I think a lot of people expected. And the focus now is what can we expect September and October, which typically are much slower for the airline industry. And the news today, a couple of presentations at the Cowan Conference, where we're going to hear from a number of airline executives. Well, they basically said it's better than a lot of people expected. In fact, the terminology that I heard today describing September traffic, robust. Business travel, it is improving. No, it's not at pre-pandemic levels, but it is improving. And capacity being trimmed certainly helps the airlines as well. So a couple of the carriers that we heard from today, let's start off with American Airlines. CEO Robert Isom says that they are seeing strong demand post-Labor Day as they look at September heading into October. And then you've got United Airlines out with an 8K this morning where the company said that its revenue is a little bit better than expected for the third quarter So that's certainly encouraging news. All of this coming on a day when United says it may be pulling out of JFK if it cannot get more flight slots. This is something that the FAA is considering, increasing the number of flights out of JFK. And United CEO Scott Kirby sent a letter to his staff yesterday saying, if we don't get more flight slots, we're out. Well, the FAA responded by saying any additional slots at JFK would follow the FAA's well-established process of awarding them fairly and to increase, increase the number of flights there to a number of different wow. carriers. So wow. we'll talk about that in a bit. Real quick, I want to talk about jet fuel. You see that down there? At the end, it pulled back a little bit, down 17% from the June high. Keep in mind, the airlines were able to pass along the price increases in the form of airfares. So I don't think that the price of oil coming down is the reason airline stocks are higher. That's certainly a nice tailwind that they will enjoy uh, if it continues in the third quarter and fourth well, quarter. If, if jet fuel comes down, which it should... Yep. Do you think fares are going to come down? No, come oh, no, no. See, it's, it's supply and de- it is supply and demand. Yes. I, I, I get this question all the time from people. They are not in the business of giving us the lowest fares just to give us the lowest fares. They're in the business of making a profit. And the demand is there that they can charge what they are charging right now. And there are low-cost carriers that are going with the lowest possible fare, and there is a market for that. And there's also a market for the business traveler or the international traveler. And so I, do I expect lower fares? No. Do I expect them to be as high as they were this summer? Hard to tell as you go into the holiday How about this? Season. Do you expect, quickly, do you expect a plane to take off? Have they gotten better? Is the log jam a little better? They're doing better. Doing better. Look, it's, it's up at the, if there's a hurricane sometime <laughs> in the next six weeks, the, all bets are off. You know that. It's a bad storm. These guys have trouble. Okay. Phil, thank you very much. All right. And Apple finally announcing a new iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Plus of the same chip as the previous model. And the best battery life ever, a 6.7-inch display and a new 12-megapixel camera. Rush out today. That does it for us here on The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.